This is the All Sports Podcast devoted to your favorite teams in North Texas. Welcome to Ballsy, a production of the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day. Our weekly show is proudly hosted. Okay, strike that. Our show is hosted by Kevin Sherrington, Evan Grant, and myself. I'm David Moore, and who knows, maybe we'll have a special guest or two along the way. Catch other episodes by subscribing to the Ballsy Podcast on iTunes. We're also on social media. Just search Ballsy Podcast on Facebook and Twitter, and you'll be notified of the latest episode. Don't forget, it's Ballsy with a Z. Are you ready, sports fans? Ballsy starts now. Hello, everybody. Welcome into Ballsy, the Sports Day DFW Dallas Morning News Sports Podcast. I am Kevin Sherrington. We're going to talk about the uh, Mavericks today and the uh, and the murderous week, as Rick Carlisle put it, uh, that they're having. Um, not only because of, of COVID problems, uh, but scheduling issues that they've got. Uh, we're also going to talk about uh, the Cowboys and getting ready for the draft, and they'll have to do that without the combine, which has been scratched which will be really interesting this year, considering the fact that there were so few games that the scouts could go see. And we're also going to talk a little Rangers uh, as they uh, plod their way through this offseason, hopefully onto the way to a full season, which seems a little ridiculous at this point, but, but we'll, uh, we'll see what they can pull off. So uh, joining me now is David Moore. Hello, David. Hello, Kevin. How are you? I'm great. How about you? I'm doing well. Is it, uh, is it is it sunshiny uh, out there where you are? Uh, no, it's a little overcast today. A little, a little chill in the air. A little chill, but no rain. Didn't they get didn't get that rain come through like it was supposed to? Oh, we got some rain here in uh, in in Dallas here in Civilization. We got some uh, rain. Uh, I think Capella Civilization, sir. But <laughs> <laughs> I've been out there and seen these places. I don't think so. You know, when we go through, I tell the kids make sure you lock the doors. Yeah, I, I know this is where people used to come to dove hunt and quail hunt, but I think it's <laughs> yes, evolved fact, a bit beyond that. We we went through your backyard one time, as I recall. I remember that now. Yeah, that was, <laughs> that was good stuff. And Evan Grant. Hello, Evan. Hello from deep in the heart of Dallas. Yeah, uh, Evan is deep in the heart of Dallas. Evan, from, from your rooftop, you can see downtown Dallas. Is that not true? I can see, I think, from my rooftop, I can see forever. Forever, it's yeah. not blocked yet. Your view is not blocked yet from your rooftop. And, and what? And 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 I'd like to see you get on your rooftop one. But how long uh, does it take you to get to your rooftop? Well, David, I don't want to humble brag here or anything, but we do have a rooftop deck, so it's <laughs> it's very accessible. The view's magnificent. Someday we'll allow you up here. Um, but ladder on the uh, outside of the building where you climb up to get to it, or. No, no, no. We've we've got indoor stairs and plumbing. It's it's wow. It's, it's, uh, but uh, yeah, our our view is not yet blocked. But uh, I, I've I've read in um, this publication called the Dallas Morning News where uh, they are planning a series of of buildings that will be right in our line of sight. So we're going to enjoy the hell out of it for the time being. You're going to fight it. You're going to go to all those council meetings, and are you going to get your ten minutes to go up to the mic and? Yes, I'm going to rail against. I got mine, so let me stand in the way of progress here. <laughs> I, I'd say you just got a, a gallon of gasoline, and you just walk down there, and you know, a couple of matches, and you're on your way. Oh, that's good. This will, I'm sure, this will make it right to the uh, <laughs> desk of Romano and his group over there that are planning to build this high rise. 
Oh, man, man. I mean, we noticed that the other day we were driving out I-30, and I saw, <laughs> of all things, uh, one of those stupid storage places was about, you know, 15 stories high, you know, obstructing the view of downtown. It's like, come on, don't we have any deed restrictions in this town? Isn't there anything you can do to stop that kind of mess from happening? What? You just have a great view from the Belmont. You know, you can see downtown from the, the, the rooftop bar of the Belmont, and that was, like, gorgeous, and now not so much. <laughs> Now that they've closed the Belmont. Yes. Yes, Kevin. I I don't know if I'd be talking about city planning, given that you're from Houston. Oh, listen, that's how that's how Houston became the metropolis it is today, because there is no zoning, pal. Build whatever you want. You want a bar here? You want a strip club? You want a school, a church? Put it right down here. We got no problem. There you go. Yeah, I mean, we like to protect our property values down there. All right, uh, listen, we're going to talk a little bit about the Mavericks, uh, who are, are on a little bit of a, of a bad streak here. Uh, a, a lot of things going on. They, they're missing Josh Richardson and Maxi Kleba, and and uh, uh, well, those were the, the main. Jalen Brunson came back. Uh, he, he was back last night. Tim Hardaway was back last night. He was out with a little bit of an injury. Um, oh, he, he was back. Yeah, well, he, he was himself. He was 0 of 12 from the field, but yes, he was back physically. Yeah, I tell you what, some of these games have been a little rough to watch. Uh, KP Kristaps Porzingis is trying to make his way back, and he has his moments. And you know, we we've we've had this, ever since he's been a Maverick. We've had this discussion about does he really need to be standing out here shooting these 35 footers, you know, all the time? And you know, if you if you watch the games and, and and listen to Derek Harper. I, I appreciate Derek's honesty when he says, you know, when you don't, when you're not making that shot, how about rolling to the basket? You know, how, how about going down there and working? Because, you know, when he gets down there, uh, he has, uh, he, he's just so much longer than everybody else uh, that, you know, he, he could really almost have his way. Uh, and I would like to see him do that a little more often. Although I do know that, as he has said, that the Mavericks have really encouraged him to take those threes. You know, they want him, that's what he's there for, to be a, uh, a stretch four or five and a guy who's going to open up things for Luca and the rest of the offense. But still, uh, it is, it gets to be a little brutal sometimes to watch some of that stuff go up and not go down. Yeah. I, I mean, that's the thing. They encourage him to do it with the understanding that you're going to make a high enough percentage where it helps our team for you to do it. If you're not making them at a high enough percentage, then the the impact on the defense and spreading the floor is lost. And, and but I, I don't want to compare Porzingis to Dirk Nowitzki because they're different players. But I will say that Dirk began his career on the perimeter. And when he became a true MVP player, he mixed in going underneath. It was adding that element to his game to take advantage of his size. And I think Porzingis should do the same. Now it's going to be a gradual transition and it's never going to be a a steady diet. And, you know, just the way he's built, this goes all the way back. Well, Kevin, you know, this Ralph Sampson was ahead of the curve where everyone's going, well, he's a seven footer. What's he doing out there shooting? You know, he needs to get inside and his career was totally dismissed where he would like, he was the precursor of what we see in the NBA today. He was just too far ahead of the curve. Yeah. Um, To be a star today. Yeah, you know, David Robinson was the same sort of thing. It's like, well, you're a center. Why are you a face-up center? Get down in there. But David Robinson had a 31-inch waist. So the issue was, if you put your – with a 31-inch waist, no matter how strong you are, if you put your back to the basket, 
the defender, all he has to do is forearm you and push you out, which is what was happening to David Robb, which is why he was a, an outside facing center going in. Porzingis is that sort of guy just from his build, no matter people say we'll get stronger. Well, it doesn't matter how much stronger you get if your core is still a certain size and other players where their position can push you out and, and get you out of uh, the spot that you want. So he's never going to do a steady diet inside, but you're exactly right. He, when the shot's not going, he has to dive more. He has to, because he is a threat down low. And that's the other side of it. Players like there aren't that many players like that anymore. So if you go low and post a guy with your size advantage and develop any sort of inside move that you can go with, you're going to be very difficult to stop. And it's, it's just to, it's to develop as a counterpoint to be a more well-rounded player. It's not to say, go down there and be something you're not. But I, I think that's something he needs to incorporate into his game. Now, to do that, you have to be healthy enough to be on the floor enough to where you can work on that. And uh, he hasn't been to this stage of his career. That's something you have to work on slowly in games, incorporate into your game, where it becomes more and more who you are and what you can do as a, as a you know, counterpoint to what your normal game is. I think the big takeaway here is that based on my waist size, I would be a great back. You would be a great indoor (laughs) player inside. Yeah. Put you on the block. Yeah. You kind of just would be the block. Evan is the block. (laughs) I like that. Uh, Well, you know, it's an interesting thing to watch uh, this this, uh, Mavericks team develop. You know, they've had their moments this year uh, where they've been pretty good uh, and looked like everything was clicking. And then there have been moments when they just looked god awful uh and you know they we we have seen some uh unusual stats from them so far this year we, we've seen them being ranked as i think that at one point the third best defensive team in the nba and who would have you know obviously it's a very small sample size but who would who would expect to see something like that when luca was making real efforts was also regarded individually as one of the best defenders in the league uh when he was really making an effort <clears throat> of course the problem with that is as is the case with all great offensive players if they devote too much energy on their defense, then it just subtracts from their offense. There's just so much of that to go around. It's like the other night when Luca had 30 points in the first half uh, and then had six in the second half. I think uh, he's still really not in great game shape. He's, he's okay. Uh, I think this is one of the things when we talk about watching Luca and, and how he can improve, he can start with the fact that he needs to get on a program uh, during the season and uh, certainly in the offseason where he's just stronger and in better condition, uh, just condition his body a little bit better where he can uh, endure the rigors of, uh, of a full season and, and not uh, be worn down. And that was always the complaint about James Harden, right, is that uh, maybe not always in the best shape, a, a, obviously a great player, maybe one of the five best offensive players ever. Uh, and then but by the time he got to the postseason, because he worked so hard for his shots, he's a little gassed, uh, and uh, kind of might account for the fact that the that his teams didn't win titles uh, in the postseason despite his presence. So, Luca gets compared to a lot of people, uh, starting with Oscar Robertson and moving right on down. There are elements of his game that are similar to James Harden's, um, and and I think that those things are <clears throat> are 
worth watching. Uh, but that that would be my number one thing for Luca is he needs to get in better shape, uh, get his body ready for a, a full season, get a little bit stronger. He, he is awfully strong now. I don't want to imply that he's not. That's one of the reasons why he's as good as he is is because uh, he's able to go under the lane, get bumped, doesn't bother him, takes you know takes the foul and absorbs the foul and the blow and, and still makes a shot. Um, obviously he can be a better free throw shooter. Uh, he needs to be more consistent also in his outside shot. There, there are several areas for him to prove, but the, the big problem for that team right now is that without these, uh, other players, uh, and without really still, uh, we don't have that third wheel. We don't have a second wheel on the, on the Mavericks. Um, he's going to, the, the ball is just going to be in his hands most of the time. Uh, and, uh, and probably a, a little too much to make this team uh, a serious challenge. I, I do think the Mavericks are probably uh, have improved themselves this year to be a, a fifth and maybe even a fourth seed. Um, but they're going to have to get everybody back here pretty soon. Uh, and Lord knows what's going to happen anyway. Now, I mean, what's next? Uh, how many uh, do we really feel like they'll be able to get to, to 72 games? Do we really feel like that uh, some teams just won't be decimated by uh, COVID problems as, as we go forward with uh, basketball outside the bubble. There's a lot there to unpack. I, I would say that uh, I think Jalen Brunson, I think they can run the offense through Jalen Brunson some to, to give, um, you know, Doncic some some stretches where not everything has to run through him you know because it's not just about physically wearing down it's mentally I mean if you're the key person on every single possession over the course of a season when you're on the floor uh, that wears you down too Uh, just mentally just having to be that engaged uh, every single possession and every single decision is yours. Now, most of them are going to be that, but but you want to give a guy a little break in the hair points. Um, you know, the, the physical conditioning, I, I really do believe this year uh, was different. I mean, they didn't think they were going to start until late January, early February. Uh, his conditioning program that was going to do with the national team uh, was taken away from him. Um, and, you know, it was more restrictive where he was as far as going out and hitting the gym than it was in the U.S. So I think there are a lot of factors that I think it's it's very fair to criticize the conditioning he came in this year. But I do believe there were some unique circumstances, but because I I don't think we've seen anything in, in his game and approach that would indicate he's not all in on being a great player and, and recognizes the obligation that comes with greatness. He, he doesn't seem to shirk uh, from any of that. So I, I don't think his his discipline or, or his desire or his conditioning is going to be an issue going forward. Um, to me, just where they are now is I, I thought they were going to get off to a slow start anyway, because when you're when you're making the transition from the pure offensive identity that they had last year to being a more complete team, and working on your defensive rotations. And now you're working on these rotations. And look, a lot of defensive rotations, um, it, it is about coordination and you're giving up some skill players in certain positions. So, so it requires everyone being in the in the right spot and playing off each other and, and actually playing a role. And now you have three guys out for one game, five guys out for another. Uh, you can't get that continuity. Um, in, in my mind, I, I was really going to, 
it was going to be later in the season. I don't know when, but it was going to be, you know, 20, 30 games into the season, I think, before you actually started to see them start to get some traction and go forward. So I wouldn't be overly concerned with this three-game losing streak at this point, other than the fact that, what, this is the first one they've had under Luca, right? You, you've never had more than back-to-back losses, which is incredible to me over the last couple of years. Uh, but those teams never really hit their ceiling. I, I think, I, you know, the, the whole thing about take one, you know, one step forward, two steps back. I, I think they're in a phase now where they're going to, their record is not going to be as good because they're working, they're, they're, they're tearing themselves down to have a different approach to win going forward. And you're going to lose some games because of that early. As far as late game execution, that was an issue for them last year, even when they were an outstanding offensive team. Right. Uh, so, so that is why they need another facilitator in addition to Luka Doncic, and they need to kind of get that feel and that balance late in games. You know, uh, we, the, the thing that struck me about that, and we're talking about the, the Friday night game where Luka, uh, which is the first time, you know, he's obviously a very emotional player, and and, and sometimes it's too much for me is, is complaining to officials. I don't think it helps his cause to constantly be getting, I think he's had, what, five technical fouls this year already. Uh, that doesn't do him any good, doesn't do the, the, the Mavericks any good. Uh, to be complaining is, is quite as much. I, I, I do think that the whole thing of officiating the NBA, and that goes back a million years, is ridiculous. Stars get the calls. It's like, how about just calling a foul a foul? You know, let, let, let's just dispense with all this silliness and just, just the same thing in baseball. And, you know, every, every umpire's got a different strike zone. You know, h- how about we just try to make a little uniformity here? It's all about the players, not about the officiating. But at any rate, um, uh, in that game, uh, and, and I wrote about this the other day about uh, talking about Luca and, and about his approach um, to the game. One of the things that really struck me early on in his career is that when you would go in the locker room after a game and the Mavericks would lose and he'd have a great game and he would come out and sit down and, you know, n- nobody likes to lose, uh, but you could tell it just eats at him. And I saw a, a quote today after this game last night uh, where he said, uh, he just it just makes me feel bad. He says I just feel bad after after we lose. You know, he's it's very almost childlike, but but I I, I think that's genuine. You know, I, I think that that it doesn't he doesn't really care what his numbers are if they lose. Uh, and I think that's a that's a vastly underrated aspect of of what makes Luca who he is. Uh, and it's very good for. Mavericks fans should feel very good about that, that this is a guy who's just not in it for the numbers. We've all known athletes who are just in it for the numbers. You know, that everybody wants to win, but some guys want to win more than other guys do. Uh, And, uh, and I think Luca is one of those guys. And I think uh, the, the Mavericks know that. And I think that's one of the reasons why they're trying to speed up the process a little bit about rebuilding this team. They realize that, Hey, this is a very special player we have here. Uh, he's capable of lifting the team uh, to that level, we think. But also, we want to keep him happy. You know, we, we want him to, to know that we're all in on this, too. You don't want to give Luca the idea that, ah, listen, we're okay. We're, we're building this thing. We're going to take our time. We're going to wait for the salary cap to get bigger. We're going we're gonna, to – they can't afford to do that, you know. He, he is contractually obligated to you, and you could keep him for seven or eight years. But here's, here, the issue is, as, as we saw with James Harden, if a guy wants to force his way out, he can force his way out. Uh, and I, I'm not saying that Luke is that kind of guy, but you certainly don't want to risk that. No, if the organization's not all in, I mean, you're, you're severing the relationship. And, and, and you're right, it, it's, 
you know, I've always thought this is not in football as much because you don't play as many games, but uh, especially in, in basketball and hockey, and I would say even more so in, in baseball because of just the sheer number of games. It, it's, it's really very insidious because you have to, on some level, you have to accept losing because it happens so much just because of how many games you play. And you, you can't have like a, a rational daily approach unless you kind of put it in some sort of context. I mean, a, a baseball team can lose as much in one week as a football team will in an entire season. Uh, so it's not the same emotional weight, but it still has to bother you. And that's still, in my mind, that is still what distinguishes uh, great players and transformative players over just very good players. They still hate the losing aspect of it, and it bothers them more than it does a lot of other players. And, and it's harder for them to rationalize. And uh, great players, great athletes aren't rational. <laughs> I, I, aren't. Think you've, I think you've also got to – there's a point where you've got to, to harness this, right? I mean, I, I, I think that we spend a lot of time – gnashing our teeth over Des Bryant and all the talk about what a quote unquote passionate player he was when he was far too emotional and, and, and needed to rein some stuff in. And I think Kevin quite here is uh, quite frankly, is, is, is on the right track that um, Luke is a great player, but he's going to have to learn to rein some things in and you can't, you cannot dismiss it as passionate or emotional you, if you are a great competitor, you've also got to know how to channel that. And you can't let it, especially in the fifth or seventh game of the season, you can't let it spin out of control. And, and I think that uh, Luke is in what his third year, third year, third year. Only third uh, the bottom of that, Evan. He's only 21. Um, but it, it, he's become an experienced NBA player and he's got to learn how to how to control and um, and 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 uh, direct that? Yes, he does. Um, so uh, it'll be interesting to see how the Mavericks put all this together here uh, as they get these uh, players back. Uh, eventually, you know, I, I just think it's crazy, uh, and I, I don't think that Rick Carlisle was very happy uh, the, the way the Jalen Brunson issue was handled. He, he never even had it. They were tracing him, and uh, they. He thought he was going to have him back on, I think, Saturday. He didn't get him back uh, or Friday. They didn't get him back then. Uh, so it's been a uh, it, it's been a very interesting course of action here. We'll we'll see what the NBA is is able to do, you know, going forward. Yeah. Whether they really need and to, yeah, not not an excuse here, but yeah, you know, now they have like five games in a very short window. And so you really can't practice during that period. So all your practice is on the floor and then you haven't had these guys to, you know, and you didn't have a normal uh, training camp either. So it's every, every team's in the same position and, and you're seeing this across the league and, and uh, you know, Rick Carlisle is very cognizant of that and, and this will work out, but very quickly, you know, before we wrap this up, his rotation patterns are going to be interesting here too, because when you're putting in a new system like this, he's normally used as a more liberal rotation pattern than just about any other NBA coach. Can you really do that when you're reinforcing a system or do you need to kind of get everyone in their roles and then expand it? I think it's going to be interesting to see how Rick Carlisle coaches through this transition process to get them more grounded defensively. Yeah, absolutely. There's a, there's a, uh, um, 
especially with a shorter number of games, you, you have less time to, to get all this stuff done. Uh, and, and, you know, he has played, Josh Green has played a lot lately. Uh, and I'm, I'm obviously because of the, the, the fact that they're shorthanded. I kind of like what he's done so far. It's been interesting. The, 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 uh, the first round draft pick, um, done, done a nice job in the, in the small role that he has. Uh, I, you know, I was kind of pushing, uh, in my limited knowledge of, of uh, Sadiq Bay of seeing him and what he might do. They did not uh, draft him. It seemed like a little more well-rounded player. I think they were going for a role player though, at that point, uh, looking for a guy with energy and play some defense. And that's certainly what Josh Green supplies. All right. So the, the Dallas Cowboys, uh, you know, and I, and I did not notice until I looked this up that, that we're not going to have a combine this year, which is the first time since 1982 uh, I did not realize that, that our very own Tex Schramm was the one who proposed and came up with the idea of a centralized scouting session where at that time they were all just pro days. And we still have pro days on the individual campuses. But now, of course, you have players invited to the combine and they show up and it's a big deal at the Underwear Olympics, as it was always called. Um, so very interesting. There's not going to be one this year because of COVID. Uh, and, uh, and also what you get at the combine is you have, uh, medicals that are taken of these players, which are very important. Um, you find out things about players that you frankly didn't know before. Uh, and, uh, and, and I'm sure that, that a lot of decisions have been made. Uh, the Cowboys are, are pretty famous for relying on their medical personnel, uh, over, the advice perhaps even of other uh, medical personnel and that decision won't be made about uh, what they'll do about that until April. Well, they won't have it until April. We don't know exactly what it's going to entail. So, uh, so David, considering the fact that uh, already, especially if you were following the big 10, you had fewer games to work on now. Scouts did uh, as far as evaluating uh, talent and personnel. Uh, A lot of guys sat out this season uh, like for example, Penne Sewell, who is the uh, offensive tackle for Oregon, considered far and away the best tackle in the, in the draft. I've seen him referred to as a generational offensive lineman. Didn't play this year for Oregon. Now, uh, I, I think a guy like that, you already know he's really great, right? Uh, and you, uh, if, if he really is that good, and, and I'm just going to take uh, these guys' word for it, um, then perhaps it's not as big an issue. Uh, but there are plenty of guys that you know might not have been a first rounder, a second, or third, or fourth round, or whatever, uh, who didn't get a chance to show their uh, potential to be that. And some of those guys would have gone to the combine. Uh, you know, some I think of Byron Jones, right, who played at UConn. Uh, yeah. You know, that's not exactly a football powerhouse. Uh, goes to the uh, combine and just blows it out. As I recall, uh, Byron Jones had one of the best uh, performances ever uh, at the combine uh, from uh, from pretty much all standpoints and ended up being a, a first-round draft pick of the Cowboys. Yeah, for his position, he, uh, he had an outstanding uh, combine. And that's you're not, you're not going to see it at the top of the draft. You, you're, you're not going to see an impact of, of not having the combine. But when you look at how many games were not played in college football this year and you know the 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 combine helps give you delineation in a lot of the other rounds you know i I think a a a sixth or seventh round pick can go to the combine and suddenly wow this guy this guy's a late third early fourth which is a significant jump 
uh, people always want to focus on the top of the draft, and and I get it. And there and there are there are players that go to the combine and move their way into uh, the the first round, but a lot of them were still being in discussion for the first round anyway. It just kind of entrenches them. To to me, it's more about the order it brings to the second and third day of the draft. Uh, and, and so you're not going to have that this year. Um, you're, it, it's just going to be such a different flow to it. Uh, so you're not going to have those workouts there. Uh, so clubs will send people to the pro days, which uh, the, the teams won't, you know, the NFL won't run. It'll be the, it'll be each of the colleges running the pro days and, and it'll see guys all in the environment that they've practiced through throughout their college career. So that's a little bit different, uh, you know, animal to, to consider. And, and the medicals now, you know, the, now in February, you have a, a pretty good physical mock-up on every draft candidate. And there are many who are working through injuries that you monitor over the course of the next several weeks and months leading up to the draft to see how their rehab is going, uh, does, whether or not it does impact their draft position and all of that. Now you're not going to have medicals until April, which is only two to three weeks before the draft. Now, anyone, you know, typically there's a group of players that come out of Indianapolis and they fall into the category of being rechecked medically before the draft because their status was going to hurt their position. Now you're going to be doing it at April, and there are going to be some players that have a recheck medically coming out of that, and how much time do you have left? So it's going to, uh, you know, I, it's not, it's just a different way to go about it. I, you'll hear some teams complain about it, but they're all still going to be able to get all the information they need. Uh, you're still going to have virtual visits like you did last year. And, uh, you know, I don't know that the draft unfolded much differently last year than it has any other year. And those were all virtual. You, you did have the combine, everything shut down after the combine, uh, but all those individual visits coming through the, uh, you know, team facilities were, were out. So you won't have those again this year. So I think it's just a, a different way of doing business. And, and it is a level playing field. Look, there's enough tape out there. Uh, all these organizations have enough contacts within the colleges uh, to talk to people, to get information, to get the background and do the due diligence that they need. Um, frankly, what's happening is the NFL is just losing more money in programming because now you're not uh, showing these workouts live, uh, which is what they had gone to in the last couple of years. Yeah, I, I feel like that's the biggest that's the biggest loss is for the obsessive um, draft neck is they're just not going to be able to watch hours and hours of guys running 40s and and doing uh, pass catching drills. Um, uh, and I guess maybe the biggest difference is at least um, in the combine setting, uh, and I don't know how much this matters because you're going on data, right, more than anything else, but in the combine setting, at least during some of those drills, you had the comparative eye test of – yes watching one guy and then the same guy, the next guy in the same group. The Clemson that. guy. And then right after him comes a guy from USC. And so you compare right. him or here's a guy from a smaller college. And yeah, so that, that put people at ease, but. I don't know that it made it any more efficient. Your grade is still, yeah. Yeah. Um, I, so, I, and I mean, I, this is, guys, this is the same thing. You know, this is a, a, 
the Cowboys are in a very significant situation because they've got a high draft pick and because of, of, of what this means. It's the same situation the Rangers find themselves in this year, and it's the same kind of circumstances where we have no idea if there's going to be a college baseball season. There was basically no college baseball season last year. Um, the showcases uh, for high school players may go on. They, they did over the summer. Who knows what the deal will be this spring. But it, it just is going to put that much more of a stress factor on your evaluation skills and I, I think, you know, some of your your people skills, because you've got to do it all one on one right now. Right. I mean, you're you're not doing anything in a group environment um, where you can poach off anybody. And it's unfortunate timing for both those teams out in Arlington. But uh, this is, you know, it, it, sure. it's, important it's a new reality. Is right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and people will say, oh, there are mistakes made. I wish we had, you know, if we just would have had this or we just would have had that. Well, the counterpoint is. You had this and that for every other year, and mistakes were still made. Organizations are still going to make mistakes in personnel. They're still going to hit home runs in personnel. Uh, What is the key here is it's a level playing field. Now, organizationally, with the contacts you have and and the, the expertise of the people you have in place, that's what's going to distinguish and differentiate franchises. But but as far as the approach and the information you can gather and collect, at least everyone comes from the same starting line there. So that's not going to be, you know, what I think is going to be interesting is, and we've talked about this before with during the pandemic and just how the, the, the rhythms uh, of the season are, are upset and, 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 fans are accustomed to something at a particular time and it's not there. And, you know, it goes beyond just the athletes and the organizations. It's the fans. And this is going to be fascinating to me for draft coverage uh, for for what fans consume, because that has become a cottage industry. Uh, There's so much consumption of that. And the combine was a natural jumping off point because all of the top athletes are there. And, all the media was there from all around the country. And so you gather information, you get it. And from that point forward, it's like, okay, now we'll do this. Now we'll do this. Now we'll do this because all these guys were here and this, there was a common starting point. Now that's gone. So and, and not to how is everyone going to cover this? It's going to be a little bit different. And there's, you, you've lost that rhythm to it. And now you don't have teams coming in. Uh, you know, you don't have player. You don't have your 25 visits coming in. So you're not writing about this guy came in. And it's harder to find out whether a guy was on a WebEx call than whether he was actually at the facility. You know, so there's going it, to it's going to alter things. And not to mention, David, that it was I mean, that the, the combine season and pro day season and all of that kind of kicked off that period in March through late April where football was able to poach off the other sports and and fans attention uh, during spring training and during the NCAA tournament and during the, 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 if you will, playoff drives in the NBA and NHL. Um, And there won't be quite the same this year, but I, I also feel like, draft nicks by and large are a breed of the, their own yes and what the information will still be there easily yeah. presented to them they may go digging for um on the internet and, and so uh, i think it more it more affects the casual fan but i also i mean i this, this is i think this is a podcast we we still we've touched on i i think we still need to do at some point in time but as far as a casual fan goes i want to know 
how sports consumption has changed for people over the last 12 months because in some respects you do want the escape of being able to watch sports but i've sat down and i haven't been able to watch sports um with the same focus that i used to be able to watch because i just feel like there's so much other stuff in my brain right now well yeah. and evan really that's a pretty limited field there thank you <laughs> thank you Kevin. yeah I just thought I needed to point that out. Uh, so, so I, I think that's what's interesting to me about the uh, uh, first of all, as we all know, there's paralysis by analysis, and that's and and you know it seems that that teams did a pretty good job for years and years and years without all the things that we have now and and all the the mini caps and the off season football has just become a 365 day proposition and they they do that on purpose they just before what y'all have been talking about they're trying to drive up the appeal of the sport and the popularity of it and trying to in the all season it. you don't go more than two weeks without a significant event now this this kind of changes everything i mean the combine is basically two weeks after the super bowl and then right. two weeks after that is the start of free agency and then you know about 10 days after that all these teams are going to all these campuses and so you know so you're doing that and then it's and then they're coming in for visits and and, and so now that's that's disrupted a little bit and then you then you have the draft and one week later you have the rookies come in then the week after that you have the veterans come in for the first time so yeah they they plan this out to dominate the news cycle year round now i, I don't want us to you know to get to dive too far into this so far uh, about the about the upcoming Graph, you know, I, I was I was really shocked. Our old buddy Tim Kalish, I wrote the other day, uh, that he hates the whole idea of uh, of talking about draft picks and what they're going to do. When ever since I was a little kid, growing up in Houston and watching Speck Richardson trade away all the Astros' greatest players, I I, I w always been fascinated by team building and what and what uh, organizations do and how they approach it. I to me, it's I, I, I'll have to admit, sometimes to me, it's more interesting than the games themselves. Well, all so, you want to do, Kevin, is sign free agents in baseball. Let's face facts. No, that's not true. Not true. Close. You're let's, let's spend some money. <laughs> when the Rangers, they look at they they can spend whatever they want. Those guys, all they want to do is make money. All Ray Davis wants to do is make money. That's all every owner wants to do. Well, that's, that's true. That's all I want to do. Uh, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. I think, unfortunately, we're not making any. It's on a different level. Yeah. It's, it's all well, relative. I, I want to say this. I, I, listen, Mega Millions tomorrow night is $850 million. I, I want to say, would be completely why have I not okay been in on that? I saw that the bill. other day. Oh, my gosh. If I win that, I want you all to know I will not forget who you guys are. You won't give us any money. You just won't no, forget who no. we are. But I won't forget who you are. <laughs> I, I will remember you. I won't, I won't contact you anymore. I will cut off all association well, with you. But I, win -win I won't all forget around, you. But go yeah. ahead. I won't forget <laughs> you. I won't, I'll point, think about you. My point here is that even oh, though point. one is okay. $850 million, I'm completely okay with winning the smaller of the two at <laughs> $650. Yeah, that's okay. I'm all so, right with that. Well, let's, let's talk. I want to talk about this before we get out of here. So, so David, you know, uh, in doing my significant research the other day, which which constituted me going back through the last 10 Cowboys drafts uh, of the last decade, um, you know, Will McClay has revolutionized Cowboys drafts. There's no question about that. That The biggest problem the Cowboys had, if you, you, you can go almost to any franchise in any era, What's the problem here? It's their draft. You know, they go a number of years without doing well in draft, and you and you're drained of talent, and that's what gets coaches fired, and that's when all those problems start. Uh, and if you look at the in the '90s, uh, I was so, I was amazed to see that the Cowboys 
had, uh, and of course, Jimmy got them in that uh, mode of let's trade down, let's get out of here. Everybody says that was Jerry. That was all Jimmy who started yep. all that. And uh, and then Jerry just kept it up. And so they would go uh, significant periods in both, I believe, uh, seven times in the uh, in the nineties and in the early aughts uh, that they did not have uh, draft first round draft picks. Well, this decade they've kept them. Uh, there, mm-hmm. There's only been one time they didn't have a first round draft pick the last decade, uh, and they did a great job, as we all know. We we and all they gave that up for Amari Cooper when they yes, were in desperate need of of wide receiver, right? And and uh, again, a guy at an age where it made sense to go ahead and do that, especially when you signed him to a second contract. That's correct. Only 24 years old. So I would say that I would say you should rarely do that. But for where they were, that was a good use of a, of giving up a draft pick. Oh, absolutely. I advocated for that. That was absolutely a, a great, a great uh, activity to do that. But here, here's the thing that was interesting to me. If you look back at the last decade, five times they drafted offensive players, four times they drafted defensive players. We, we get the idea that they they spent all their money and attention on, on offense, and it's not really true. Uh, it, it is an imbalance there a little bit, but the problem has been they just didn't hit on those defensive players. You know, uh, they took Mo Clayborn. Clayborn. Charlton didn't hit. Yeah, Mo Clayborn. Mo Clayborn was not a hit. You know, those are two, those are two uh, ejections right there. And then you get uh, Leighton Vander Esch, who's, you know, we, we see signs of Leighton Van Der Esch being a very good player. He just can't stay on the field. He's the second coming of Sean Lee at this point. Uh, and, and so th- that has been the issue for the Cowboys. And then Byron Jones was the other one, who's a very good player they decided not to hold on to. Instead of giving him the money, uh, they gave it to, to Jalen Smith. And I would argue, and as I argued at the time, I would have kept Byron Jones. I, I you know, I, I think he was an underappreciated asset with the Cowboys. It felt like that he was, well, he's not generating turnovers here. Well, they're not throwing to his side of the field very much. Uh, and he always had his man covered, you know, so. Um, he, well, we'll go he to the a, lack of respect they show for the defensive side of the ball. And, and like yeah. you say, uh, you're going to have mistakes like Taco Charlton. Uh, but, the, you know, Byron Jones wasn't a mistake, but you made a decision that, we devote most of our off- most of our financial resources to the offensive side of the ball. So you didn't have the conversation you should have had about whether or not to retain Byron Jones because you just went, you know what, we'll get a younger player, we'll plug him in. It's about effort on defense. You can make up, you know, effort can make up. We've talked about this before, which I, I think is a is a flawed premise. I, I think it uh, th- th- their lack of respect for the defensive side of the ball leads them to the position they are now defensively. Uh, you know, Mo Claiborne is an interesting one because they thought he was going to be gone. They thought it was a definite top three pick, and then they found him there, and they selected him without ever interviewing him or doing a lot of due diligence because they didn't think he would be there. Now, that didn't work out. Now, here's the other side of it. They didn't really interview or talk to C.D. Lamb last year because they felt there's no way he's going to be there. When he was there, they took him. But I will say this. There's a difference in not arguing. There's a difference in not talking to somebody and truly vetting them at six. It's a big difference between that and 17. You know, yeah, uh, and, and I think I think that's where they've done a better job. That they, they do a better do- job in their due diligence and and really ordering these guys the way they should, regardless of what position they need. Yeah, I got to tell you, I've never understood. What do you mean? You didn't talk? How many guys do you have to talk to here? You know, yeah. uh, you know, there's there's twenty twenty five guys that you should be able to talk to. You got plenty of time to do that. How hard can it be? And for, and for that matter, if I'm picking, if I got a top five pick, I'm hiring a private investigator. 
I'm hiring somebody to go in and look at this guy's background. I want you to tell me if there's anything that we need to know about that this guy. Well, they do that. They do that. Yeah. They, they have people on staff who do that. Yeah. Yeah. So they, these are these are important things they need to do. But mm-hmm. I I'm interested to see how the Cowboys uh, uh, approach this because at ten and they have six picks in the first four rounds, which is uh, nice uh, to have that many. And uh, they, they have shown a, a better ability. You know, frankly, everybody should get their first round pick. Right. Generally speaking. Right. I mean, yeah. come on, we should know enough about first yes, round should. picks. You know, I think you can get most fans to pick a first round for you. It's, it's in the second and third in the fourth and fifth rounds exactly. where teams need to be having some success there. That That's where you're really showing your expertise and what you're been, you're able to do. And the Cowboys have had their moments in the last few years. They've had them when they were not Tristan Hill, you know, the jury's still out on him as a second round draft pick. Uh, but Tony Pollard was a very nice pickup in the fourth round. Donovan Wilson, apparently a very nice pick, I believe in the sixth round out of Texas A&M and who really showed great uh, gains last year after being picked in 2019. So they have shown the ability to do that sort of thing, to find those kinds of players. Uh, it'll be interesting to me to see this year because of what we talked about, the, the lack of tape you have on, on some players, guys who just sat all together. You know, are, we, are they going to be able to find those kinds of players? Because, frankly, they need that. Do, David, let me ask you this. Do you feel like it's a possibility that the Cowboys, you know, you, you never – if a guy drops to you, you know, it's great talent. Sure. I don't think they're going to do this in the first round. I cannot – I cannot see them taking an offensive player at all in the first round. Even Kyle Pitts, the great tight end from Florida, they have got to add defensive players. Could you see a draft where it was, let's say, they got they've got nine picks, seven of them are on defense? Yeah, I think it's probably going to wind up being more like six to three or something like that. But it's definitely going to lean toward the defensive side of the ball. Uh, you just don't have that many uh, issues to address on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, and very quickly, uh, I know we need to leave here. Another thing to watch as number 10 is the, the quarterbacks that go in the top 10. Um, 10 could be a, a spot for a team to jump up to get a quarterback. Uh, Dallas isn't going to take a quarterback that high. They can actually add to their draft hall by doing that. Uh, as we swing to the Rangers here, I think that's something to keep in mind for the Cowboys that we will explore in the coming weeks. I do think that, you know, that'll be, generally speaking, I think that fans are really nervous anytime Jerry talks about trading down, <laughs> you know, as well they should be. Fans are just nervous when they hear the name Jerry. So. Yeah, that's true. But I will say this. This is a draft really top-heavy in offensive talent. Lots of quarterbacks, lots of wide receivers. In that top 10, it's it really was Dallas from a defensive standpoint. No question about it. And, and, you know, we all, at least I did, moaned and wailed about the fact that they started winning games and went from having maybe the second or third pick all the way down to 10. But in this case, they can still probably get, you know, Patrick Sertain, the the defensive back, cornerback from Alabama, Caleb Farley, the, the, the cornerback from uh, Virginia Tech. At least one or two of those guys should be there. You would both, think. Both, yes, and they both. might be the, they might be the best. And I know that Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle from Alabama, really played his way. Uh, there was some talk that maybe there would not be a defensive tackle taken in the first round. It's such a bad crop. And that is really, to me, the Cowboys need that even more so than they need a cornerback. This this team really needs a star defensive tackle. This, this team needs a guy that can 
give you a little bit of a, of a push to the pass rush, but it's really a run stopper as well. And and the Cowboys, when's the last time the Cowboys had a defensive tackle like that? You know, Jason Hatcher had a really good year before he went to Washington as a free agent. Got, I think he got five sacks that year. That was really good. I don't know that Jason was a great run stopper, though. I just don't yeah. recall that. Well, that's where Jay Ratliff probably and before, yeah. before it ended as, as ugly as it did. Yeah. Uh, but for a while there, he was a dominant. And that, that's a guy they got in the seventh round. But again, they've always minimized that position, especially under Rod Marinelli. Um, you know, it goes back to uh, Sharif Floyd, who was high right. on the board. But Marinelli is going, no, I, I can get you another guy and just rotate in there at defensive tackle. We, we need to keep our, our premium positions are defensive end and corner and some of the linebacker spots. And by extension, defensive tackle and safety were the lowest weighted on the defensive side of the ball. I think that's going to change with Dan Quinn. I know it'll especially change at safety. Uh, he thinks more highly of safeties and and than uh, what uh, the, the Cowboys coaching staff has in recent years. And I, I believe he does on defensive tackle as well. But as you mentioned, Kevin, uh, after after having a long run of really talented two dominant defensive tackles come out in the draft. Uh, it doesn't appear that this is that year. It, it appears that run has been exhausted, at least going into 2021. Yes, it does. And we will talk more about the, the draft as we go along here and get closer to it, obviously, and, and have more things to talk about. But uh, we want to talk about now, uh, speaking of teams that have a high draft picks of the Rangers, it looks like the Rangers may have a, you know, a high draft picks for, I don't know, the next decade or so. Like the segue. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but come on now. Let, let's talk about those Rangers. Uh, I want to talk about, uh, well, we got a lot of things to talk about. First of all, let's let's talk about uh, just the logistics of trying to play baseball these days, and then we'll talk about some things about Joey Gallo and, and, and that sort of stuff uh, and about the fact that they just signed him to a one-year deal to avoid arbitration, he and both Isaiah Kainer-Falefa as well. Um, first of all, Evan, do you think there will be a normal spring training? I think that MLB is is intent on this right now, but I also think a lot of this there, there's there's a lot beneath the surface that in my mind is negotiation. Um, the players want to play 162. I think they're willing to start camp later and play some double headers during the season and maybe run the season longer. And even if they need to again go back to neutral site playoffs to to accommodate this this year. Um, because it doesn't appear that right now is, is the right timing to, to, to try and go to camp, especially in Arizona and Florida, two places that have been really hard hit by, by, by the virus. Um, I think that the owners would be more than happy with starting camp late if that meant that they could, in fact, play fewer games and pay players less money for the course of the season. So you've got that negotiating issue uh, right there. I also think the other element involved here is you get into an issue when you start pushing baseball into November um, and up against NFL football Sundays and college football Saturdays um, on the regular. That is, that's going to be something that they're going to get some pushback uh, from their broadcast partners on. So, so all of that is in play, but from a common sense perspective, no, it does not make any sense to bring 60 players or 70 players into a big league camp, play for a month right now, 
um, in in no bubble, and uh, also then bring in your minor leaguers at the end of camp for a delayed minor league camp. It's it's just so anti um, uh, common sense, but. I, I don't know that baseball is going to act in, in common sense because money is what's involved here and money is going to be what ultimately drives us. Um, the, the other factor too, Kevin, is how can you go to camp now without players getting vaccinated? And, and I don't know how players can get vaccinated at this point in time without jumping the line in these places. Well, you know, I, I've had uh, that, that question brought up about, you know, sh- shouldn't these, uh, well, we, we've seen legislators, uh, the idea that they would jump the line, you know, I, it, and maybe that's, maybe that's a good idea. I'm, I'm not positive, but it probably, probably is. Uh, I'm a little hesitant to say that athletes should be jumping lines. Uh, I, I don't think that that's really a good idea. Uh, I, I do think, you know, listen, uh, and we, we know this, you don't need to spend six weeks in training camp uh, and uh, and to do all the things you need to do to get ready for a season. That's just, that was all just crazy anyway, that baseball just, that's the way baseball's always done it. Uh, and they and that goes back to the days when guys had jobs in the off season, they, they couldn't get in shape. And so they came, they waited till training camp and that's when they got in shape uh, and got themselves ready for the season. Well, that's not the case anymore. It's a, uh, you know, that's just a, uh, not a good way to try to do business really, but they just, they do that for the same reason the NFL uh, is a year round sport. Now they're just trying to draw more attention to the league. So uh, I think that, uh, uh, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do. I, I, I think it's interesting. The fact that uh, let's talk a little bit about the, the fact that the Rangers now have, uh, or at least looked at the possibility of having fans in, in uh, at games and now they're coming to a ballpark as we see by the schedule which will play afternoon games uh there will always be a, i guess every sunday game as it is now is scheduled to be an afternoon game is that not correct yes it is uh every home game is i, I believe every home game is scheduled <laughs> to be an afternoon game they're looking at 29 home day games um uh, for for 2021, uh, and I, I think look, there will be fans in the stands. I, I'm uh, as as sure as we sit here, um, there will be fans in the stands in Arlington because the government has has allowed that in Texas, um, and there has been nothing since the start of of the MLB playoffs or the NFL football season that has shown any reason why anybody would would scale that back i I think that you'll see limited seating to start to start the season whenever it is but i i I think that yeah there's no going as far as baseball and the rangers and 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 fans are concerned i think there's no going back there's only going forward right now and and uh, hopefully by the time whenever the season starts there will be sufficient uh, vaccines and there will be sufficient number of people vaccinated so that maybe um, people in the stands uh, at, a, at a reduced capacity, even if it's slightly greater than what they allowed for, for the World Series or for the, the rodeo, uh, hopefully that will be able to be done a little bit more safely. But I think there is just so much up in the air right now about how you do this. And I, I will say the, the one thing that I do want to consider on, on the length of spring training is I agree with you on every point regarding spring training with this caveat. 
you had no pitchers in major league baseball last year, go more than a hundred innings. Um, they were all on limited pitch counts. You had the off season and now you're going to ask them to come back and you want them to actually come back and, and potentially do spring training in an accelerated fashion. There's a lot of concern for, I think, on my part, and I think what's important is on baseball's part about what that would do to, to health and, and um, uh, wellness of, of pitching. So that's going to be a consideration too, but there's no reason why if you needed to, you couldn't bring pitchers only in for some kind of mini camp that amounted to the first week or 10 days of spring training, you know, that's how it used to be. And now players show up on the first day, even though there are different quote unquote reporting dates, but you could mandate that a little bit more strictly. I think if you needed to. I think one of the issues about baseball is I'll, I'll just say baseball's gotten, it's had the worst timing of all the pro sports on the pandemic because NBA and NHL, once it got to that point, it was bad for them, but then they were just saying, how can we conclude a season under conditions we know we're going to be this way for a while to give legitimacy to what we had played earlier. Baseball was left with this open canvas of, we don't know where this is going. We don't know how to handle this. And now you have the same thing because basketball and hockey have started back up. You know, NFL is winding down. It's about to close. And now you have the issue of, okay, now the vaccines are rolling out, which is going to change the whole landscape. But at what point does it change it? Does that mean you delay the start to be more in line with it? Do you have to be adapt as you go along? Uh, and and so I, I, I do think that, that baseball has been put in this position for back-to-back -back seasons now that the other uh, professional sports leagues have not had to face. But I'll also say in some ways, I think baseball is least equipped to handle it and, and respond to it in, in the ways that it needs to respond to given their long uh, labor animus. Yeah, I, I mean that's uh, I, I, the you've got po you've got potential labor disaster on the horizon after twenty one. You've got a a situation in which labor and there is a history of la labor animosity, um, and you've got the last four years since the last collective bargaining agreement in which MLB has fostered. Uh, increased animosity because it's basically taken a victory lap on a players association very publicly for beating them in negotiations. So um, anything that makes common sense gets thrown out the window in the name of how can we win this negotiation? And, and that's, that's unfortunate for the sport and it, it's damaging. Uh, there are damaging financial elements in play here. And I think they're only further damaging both the marketing element and the long-term integrity of the sport by not agreeing to common sense measures. Uh, I, you know, I don't know how long this season will go. I, I would suspect that uh, it will not be 162 game season. Uh, I think 125 game season, you know, 100 and you know 40 seems more likely um i do think though that the one of the benefits of the new ballpark too is that if they need to schedule more double headers you can actually do that now you couldn't play double headers uh before uh just too hot you know you, you couldn't make teams go out there and and do that in the course of a of a, of a summer in arlington 
Well, that that's true. And I mean, Arlington was pretty much the biggest single issue in MLB. And so if you can do it in Arlington, you can pretty much do it anywhere in terms of playing double headers now. Um, and I think the players look, I think the players think that split double headers suck, but I think they'd be willing to do that. Um, once fans are allowed back in the park to, to improve gates and to, to help make the owners more whole on that front. Um, if that was, if that was a point that they needed to, um, and, and yeah, I, I, it would not surprise me if the season got reduced to 154 or maybe 146, you know, I, I think you'd go in, in, for some reason, I think you'd go in increments of about eight games. So it's, and, and so you could, I, I could see that as well. And all of this is, is common sense, but it still gets, it, it still comes down to the sides sitting down at the table and saying, Let's talk about what makes sense, not about what best benefits us. Yeah, nobody wants to do that. Uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, what uh, benefits anybody, so we see that uh, uh, the, the Rangers' two best defensive players uh, were signed uh, to one-year contracts that would help them or would avoid arbitration, which the Rangers have done. As Evan annually notes, every year since the last time that happened was Lee Stevens. The great Lee Stevens was the last uh, Rangers player who went to arbitration. And then uh, summarily traded within a week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they, they, so there was so much animosity that uh, they built up so much in that situation. Um, and I think this is very intriguing. Evan, you wrote about this the other day, talking about uh, it's one thing with Isaiah kind of for Leffa, a guy who's still kind of making his way uh still star still rising on him he started at a very low place and he's played himself into a very nice defender who who everybody hopes out there that he can hit enough to justify playing a shortstop uh, a, a different scenario with joey gallo a guy that was considered the uh of, of the at one time the that three-man core Ruggie Odor, nomar mazara and joey gallo and joey gallo considered to be the star of that of that group um, or at least he was in my mind. I, I think some people thought maybe Odor was that. Uh, and well, I mean, let's let's let's. Jurix and Profar was supposed to be the star of that group. Well, that's true. That was before even that. that we, yeah. we go back that far, but to have that many busts, that's a lot of busts. Uh, and uh, Nomar Mazar has now been released by the White Sox. Uh, so uh, at, at this point. And you and you and you wrote this. You said that uh, I think Joey's going to get six point two million dollars this year. The question is, who's going to be paying that six point two million dollars? Is it going to really be the Rangers, or is it going to be somebody who takes Joey on and and maybe go someplace else where the expectations aren't quite as high uh, on him and what his career is going to be? Um, I. I you know, I, I feel bad about this because I, I can't tell you how many arguments I've gotten with people <laughs> about Joey Gallo over the last several years. Uh, you know, first of all, I think he's one of the most misunderstood Rangers uh, in my association with, with cover and, and been writing about the Rangers. He's really a good kid, a, a really good guy, a lot of fun, really bright, loves to play. Uh, and, and, you know, he, with old timers, old farts like me, he's, he, he drew that immediate comparison to Dave Kingman, who's one of the biggest pricks in the history of baseball. And, uh, and, and that was so unfair. You know, Dave Kingman was, uh, other than hitting home runs, he was a terrible player. Uh, and, and that is not Joey Gallo. Joey Gallo is a terrific outfielder, one of the best defenders in baseball at any position. Uh, and 
runs hard, plays hard. I, I think the thing we saw last year with Joey when he took a huge step backwards was that he did not adjust well to the new ballpark. Uh, it got in his head, which was really unfortunate. And now you, you, if you read what people write about Joey these days in analytics and they'll say, I saw somebody saying that, oh, maybe his bat speed just isn't what it used to be. It's like, I think this, this is ridiculous that people are saying these things about yeah, a guy I mean, th- I think 27. This is one of those places where, you know, uh, do you believe analytics? Do you believe what you see? Do you believe guys that you, you're around? Listen, I, I, based on my experience with Joey Gallo, um, I feel like this is a guy who did kind of weird himself out about the ballpark. And I think that had an effect. I think testing positive for COVID, which pushed him back on the restart time, uh, had an effect because I think I feel like he felt like he was having to catch up all season. And I feel like he's part of, of this generation of hitters who have spent so much time looking at video and analyze and getting in in game legal in game video um, on iPads and things like that and being able to go back to the video room in between at bats to look at at bats and guys could not do that this past year. And I think that impacted him as well. I, I think it might have had an impact on David Dahl, who the Rangers um, signed this offseason. And, and I think both those guys might be in for big bounce back years. But the Rangers are just in a different situation with Joey than they are with, with a guy like Kiner Falefa because of service time. And I think that because of the number of failures they've had on these long-term extensions for arbitration or pre-arbitration eligible players – They've got to act a little bit more prudently here. The track record with Odor and with um, uh, Derek Holland and Martin Perez and, and Elvis Andrus, quite frankly, have all been poor on giving away these, these big contracts. Joey has, has only given you offensively a half of one season to really, really say this is a game-changing player. There's potential there for that, but he's only given you a half season of performance defensively there's no question speed wise there's no question he's an elite player on both of those levels especially for a guy his size but here you are with a guy who's going to be free after 2022 who's got an agent who tests the market regularly and with a team that's not going to be ready to win before 2023 so those are the circumstances now let's let's take the actual facts there was no negotiation between Joey Gallo and the Rangers about any kind of long-term deal before last year or after last year. What does that tell you? It just tells you that there hasn't been a whole lot of interest in doing anything. And because of that, I think that the Rangers are preparing that if Joey can come out and have a good first half, it makes all the sense in the world to maximize what value they can get for him. And I will put this one caveat on that. It won't be Mark Teixeira. So people should get that out of their heads. Mark was a, a, an established offensive player. It was a different time. Prospects were valued differently. But I think the Rangers are going to have to, to, to kind of come to realization that unless Joey comes to them and says, let me get a contract that let me sign with you. Let me find a way to stay here. I think this team is going to have to look at moving him. And that's going to, you're talking about a Lance Lynn kind of return on a trade. Yeah. Yeah. I would, I, I would think so. Um, the, the, I think the difference on Joey is that the, 
I, I think on Lance, you're you're hoping he maintains what he maintains. I, I think on Joey, there's still some hope that the needle is is going to be pointing up and that Joey is basically a decade younger than Lance. But yeah, I mean, if you were to come away with a package that's fronted by a top 100 prospect, which is what the Rangers got for Lance Lynn, or at least Dane Dunning was considered a top 100 prospect at that point in time, I think that's basically what, what you're looking at. You're not going to get one organization's top three or four prospects. No. You know, I, I, I know it was headed toward this, but when you look at where this franchise has been over the last five or six years and the, the very few players they had to develop that you felt could be part of the future, this to me, this is a huge gut punch for the Rangers organization. This just, this makes what has gone on the last five or six years, in my mind, even more difficult to swallow it because it, because you've done nothing to really accelerate your process going forward. You've just spun your wheels in mediocrity or in the mud for five years. And now you're going, and eh, we're going to get very little return on investment. We're going to not going to get close to what he really is as a player, but uh, you know, we got to move on. Yeah, it is. It's an indictment. There's no question about it. It's an indictment of the organization. It's an indictment of their draft process and the, and the development as well. You know, they they haven't done a good job. These these guys were at one time were all good players. Joey was, as Evan said, Joey had one good year. No more Mazzara showed some real promise early on. Ruggi Odor was a star for a yep. year or two, um, and and all those guys went backwards. Uh, and, and I think that that's one of the, the big pro issues that the Rangers face going forward now, now is, and, and of course it's hard for us to know that it's hard for us to know. I, I do know that there was a resistance, right? We do know that, that this club, uh, that these players resisted, uh, some of the things that the Rangers were telling them to do. That's one of the reasons, you know, why Jeff Bannister is, isn't here anymore. It's not the whole reason, but it's part of the reason. So, I, I think, you know, going forward, uh, you got to ask yourself, how, how much does this organization have a, you know, what's, what is the plan now? I mean, I, we kind of get an idea of what the plan is going forward, uh, but how much confidence can you have in it at this point? You know, how much confidence can you have that they, they really have a grasp? Okay, we realize what we did wrong over the last five years, uh, and certainly, you know, you can go back further than that in the draft. Um and and we we do have a plan going forward yeah and i mean I, I think that the first question on any on the plan right now is you ask on any on any move and any potential move how would this fit or help this team compete in 2023 that's the first question you ask about any move and it might even be on a one-year deal but what does this do that will help this team for 2023 if it's a case of a one-year contract for a pitcher does that mean you're able to buy teams more or prospects more time um, to develop? So all of that is part of it. But the overriding question still, Kevin, is you've got to ask about how do how was the evaluation process? What was the development process? And why is this team in this situation? And I think that is in a large respect why Chris Young is now in a position where he is is taking more responsibility for the organization with an outside voice. Yeah, they certainly do need that, uh, and we'll and we'll see how that develops. But you know, that doesn't and say having said all that, it sure doesn't make it the, the thoughts any more pleasant for fans. I mean, yeah. you know, baseball season is way too long, 162 games to think this team's going to suck for 162 games, and not only for this one, but the next year and the year after that. 
I mean, that's, that's a hard thing to swallow. I mean, I, I could swallow almost anything, a football season going bad, you know, basketball season, the hockey, but when a baseball season is bad for that long, that is, that is a brutal thing to have to endure, especially if you have to cover it every day, like Evan does. All right. That's going to do it for our, uh, our podcast for this week. We've talked about, uh, the, the Rangers and their issues as well as baseballs and trying to get something going. We've talked about the Mavericks, uh, and the development of, uh, Luka Doncic as he wants to win. And this team has got to have to find a way. And it's, it's still kind of uh, trying to find its feet, which was expected as David pointed out. Uh, and, uh, and we are talking about those Cowboys and the, and the fact that they don't have a combine this year. Tech Schramm, our old pal was the guy who came up with the idea and we're not going to have it this year. So that's kind of hard to think about for all of us who like this team building stuff, except for Tim, Tim Kalashaw. Uh, so from everybody in here to everybody out there, thanks. And we'll see you next week.